Good morning, friends. Today's message is, Will the Real Enemy Step Forward? It comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Not long ago, I received the following email from an inmate at Angola Prison. This is what he wrote. Hey, Doc, I'm studying Ephesians 6 about the armor of God, and there is one verse that I'm afraid I don't get the full meaning of. It's verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I have a couple of questions for you. Number one, what does this verse mean? Two, what does it mean when it says the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms? Does it mean in heaven or does it mean in all the earth? And three, it talks about the rulers and authorities, or is it talking about literally those that rule our countries or nations? Or is it talking about those rulers who are not Christian, who have been put in a position of power? Those were his questions. Well, you need to respond to that. And I responded by uh, sending him probably a little bit more than he anticipated. It came in the form of a, a sermon. I cut it down to a kind of an abbreviated outline, but eventually sent him the whole thing. So what I'm going to tell you this morning that in order to get our hands around this verse, we need to look at it perhaps maybe in a couple of different versions. For example, in the contemporary English version, it says we're not fighting against humans. We're fighting against forces and authorities and against rulers of darkness and powers in the spiritual world. Or in the New Living Translation, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Let's talk about our satanic opponents. A couple of facts. Fact number one, they're numerous. I hope you notice the various expressions back in verse 12. There are principalities and powers, there are rulers, there are authorities. And these different expressions describe the many different ranks and categories of <clears throat> evil spirit beings. In fact, number two, they're powerful. So I don't want you to be thinking about, you know, Casper the friendly ghost or some nice spirit beings who like to play tricks on people. The demons are real and they aren't on our side. In the message translation, it says spiritual agents from the very headquarters of hell. In fact, number three, they're wicked. They have no moral code. They live only to do the devil's bidding, and they're opposed to do to all that is good and holy and right. In fact, four, they're clever. Paul here speaks of schemes and diabolical plans. So don't be deceived into thinking that demons are stupid. They are morally corrupt, but as spiritual beings, spirit beings, they possess enormous intelligence. Kind of like spies working for some lethal enemy, the demons know the weak spots in our armor. They lie in wait, looking for a chance to pounce. So, what should we learn from this verse? Well, first of all, it reminds us that our battle is not against other humans. We don't really struggle against flesh and blood. Now, sometimes we we focus on the abortionists or the pornographers or godless politicians or corrupt business leaders or drug dealers or whatever, as if they were the source of our problems. Yet those people are unwitting dupes of powerful spiritual forces that they know nothing about. They're morally culpable for their choices, yet they are also in the service of evil beings that influence them in ways they do not realize. Or we could make it more personal. When somebody's hurt us deeply, it's easy to say, that person is the source of my problems. 
My friends, our struggle is not with flesh and blood, even though it seems that way most of the time. And second, this verse teaches us that there are various kinds of demonic powers. I mean, all those phases are roughly equivalent in that they all refer to spiritual powers that are against us. They teach us that there are various kinds of demonic powers. There are rulers, authorities, powers of the dark world, spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And it's not clear how we differentiate between them. And maybe it's just enough to know that uh, there are various types of uh, angels, so demons are organized and serve different purposes in Satan's service. The, rule, the word rulers doesn't refer to mayors or governors or presidents. It's not about the people you work with or your boss on a bad day or anyone who gets under your skin. On those days when people treat you badly, you may feel like they're the enemy, but they are not, at least not in the deepest sense. And finally, this verse explains why we must put on the whole armor of God. See, our godly character, or the lack of it, actually does make a day-to-day difference, not only for us, but also in the great struggle between good and evil. We're all foot soldiers in kind of a vast, invisible war that stretches across the cosmos. Our godly character really does matter. It it matters in our struggle with principalities and powers. It matters in our Christian walk, and it it matters greatly to the watching world. I think all of us know that life's a struggle that's going to continue till the day we die. <clears throat> There's no release from the battle. If we go AWOL, we simply find a bigger battle on the other side of the hill. And so that leads us to two questions. Question one, what is Satan trying to do in your life? Well, simply he wants to frustrate God's plan for you. He wants to get you off the track of doing God's will. And question number two, how does Satan attack us? Well, he attacks us when we least expect it. I mean, rarely does he approach us with a straightforward invitation to evil. After all, if the devil came up wearing a name tag that said, Hello, my name is Satan, we'd recognize him immediately. If he said, I've come to destroy everything that's good in your life, I plan to destroy your family, your marriage, your reputation, your integrity, everything that's good in your life, and when I'm finished, you'll end up in hell forever. I mean, if the devil came to us talking like that, we would probably say, no, get out of here, get lost. But he generally does not appear that way. He comes to us like that serpent came to Eve in the garden with just a simple question that causes us to doubt God's goodness. He comes as the angel of light talking about tolerance and telling us not to be so uptight and judgmental in our morality. He comes with an insinuation that we have been mistreated and we are right to be angry and hurt. Or he whispers to us, go ahead, say what you're thinking. And when we do, he laughs because now we have destroyed a friendship and we may have destroyed our own future. Or he convinces us that a little pornography does not matter. Or he seduces us into thinking that the truth is in the eye of the beholder. Or he encourages us to take the low road. Or he nurses within us a grudge that becomes a root of bitterness that leads to outbreaks of anger. Now, though I don't have time to develop it here, I have often thought that Satan's greatest tool is discouragement. And let's be honest, in these COVID days, in this pandemic, I think a lot of us are discouraged. You see, if he can't get us with lust, if he can't trap us with anger, if he can't induce us to dishonesty, if he can't lure us into profanity, if he can't lead us into compromise, if all those things don't work, he still has the tool of discouragement. That often works against us when nothing else will do. 
Now, in light of all this, we need to listen to Paul's words in verse 13 of this chapter. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Now, that command, put on, is really a military term. It's the last step you take before going into battle. It's like cleaning your rifle or checking your ammo or putting on your flak jacket or grabbing your helmet. So this is called take up your armor, Christian, because all hell is going to break loose sooner or later. Now, the day of evil refers to those moments of special temptation we all face. I mean, not every day is an evil day in the precise sense Paul uses the term because not every day to uh, to do because not every day do we feel the great pressure from the enemy. I mean, some people have faced several evil day, days this week. You, you never know in advance when one is coming your way. The end of the verse gives us God's intention for every Christian. And after you've done everything, to stand. The battle is over. The Christian stands victorious on the battlefield. This is not only possible, but practical. I mean, nothing I have said about the Satan indicates that he should win the day. I mean, you have enormous resources available to you at every moment. We need to remind ourselves of some rather key Bible passages. How about 1 John 4, verse 4? Greater is he that is in you than he is in this world. Or James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Or Revelation 12:11, And they overcame him, the Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. See, when you know who your enemy is, you will not take him lightly. When you take up God's armor, you are ready to enter the battle. When you fight in God's strength, you will not be defeated. See, the victory is not easy or instantaneous, nor does it come without struggle or, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. Nor does one victory assure another. I mean, you can't live on the strength of yesterday because your enemy comes against you again and again. And furthermore, the battle is not the same for any two people. What tempts you may not bother me at all. What trips me up may not bother you at all. Satan tailors his assaults to each person's weak points. The battles you face may all be unseen, but they are nonetheless real. Now, some of you who hear these words today have faced enormous temptation this week, even though others may not know about it. You may be severely tempted, and the people closest to you may be completely aware, unaware of your struggle. Some have faced discouragement because of the battle that seems never to end. Some, no doubt, have lived in Satan's domain for a long, long time. He's held you captive through fear because you've never known a way out. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 1 John 3.8 says, The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. So understand this. There's no need for any Christ follower to live in fear of the devil. He's real. He's powerful. He's wicked. He's clever. He's defeated. At the cross, Satan thought he had defeated Jesus. But he only bruised his heel. Instead, it was the Satan who was de defeated when Jesus crushed his head. Calvary, Golgotha, dealt a death blow to the devil and his legion of demons. The cross mortally wounded the enemy of our souls, and someday he's going to be cast into the lake of fire. But between now and then, he fights on, defeated but not destroyed, using every weapon in his arsenal to convince us that he has power to overcome us.
Let me make one final point before I close. Many well-meaning people assume that once they come to Christ, their temptations will end. Uh, ha. The opposite is closer to the truth. Temptations increase once you become a follower of Jesus. I mean, why should the devil attack one of his own? I mean, he fights against those who follow Jesus. That's why some people can honestly say, I gave my heart to Jesus and things are harder than they were before. Well, welcome to the battlefield. It's been like that for, well, since the Garden of Eden. Christianity is not a religion for sissies or for those who want an easy road. If you're looking for an escape from your problems, uh, Jesus is not for you. Christianity is for strong men and women who will not run away from the struggle. And we need some valiant soldiers willing to enter the field of battle. Now, my appeal is simply Paul's appeal. I mean, name your trouble, your trial, your temptation, and then enter the battle in the strength of the Lord and find out for yourself whether it is possible, having done all, to stand. Now, here's my contention. Jesus cannot fail. I may struggle, but Jesus cannot fail. I may waver under the task, the attack, but he cannot fail. If Jesus is in me and I am in him, then weak though I may feel, Jesus cannot fail. You see, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. Now, you don't need to take my word for it. Try it yourself. <clears throat> Put the Lord to the test this week. Give God his fair chance. I mean, name your personal battleground and then go in the strength that God provides. Take up the divine armor and march forward into battle. I mean, I challenge you. God invites you. See for yourself what the Lord will do. Be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.